It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But with all the current uncertainty, how do we know when and where to put our hard-earned money to work for us? It's easy to become distracted by that shiny object or the quote-unquote next best thing. So how do we determine which strategies will best align with our financial goals? Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies to build our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Danny Nichols. And I'm Chris Thompson. This is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Listen, if you're interested in passive real estate investing, but aren't sure how or where to get started, our passive investing guide walks you through the entire process from understanding the benefits to performing the due diligence. Download your copy today at twosmartassets.com and start taking action. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, and today our guest is Neil Walgren. Neil brings nearly two decades of leadership and operations in capital markets. Prior to Mag Capital Partners, he led a Bay Area real estate investment firm raising capital for over $200 million in projects. Before that, Neil logged over 2,500 flight hours piloting the C-130 in the Air Force and Navy. Following combat tours to Iraq and Afghanistan, he concluded his military career as a lieutenant commander and now is focused on industrial real estate. Neil, it's great to see you, man. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Danny. Yeah, super excited to get to speak with you today. I know it's been in the works for, for a little while now, um, but you know we're going to talk about industrial real estate today. Not a topic we typically speak about on the show. I think maybe you're the only the second guest to talk about it, so very interested in that. But before we get into you know industrial real estate, the ins and outs, Tell us a little bit more about your story, your background, and how you transitioned into real estate, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned before, I had a in a prior life uh, a very different career field. I always like to tell folks I I love real estate because there's very few people that go straight into it. Um, so I feel like quite a few people have a you know a bit of a circuitous path before they kind of land you know into uh, you know some level of real estate, whether it's active or passive, et cetera. But, uh, you know, mine was not so different. Um, but yeah, I went to Air Force Academy after, you know, growing up in in California, just outside of San Francisco. And I ended up going on to, you know, through flight school, um, selected for the, the C-130 Hercules and got nice. to, I mean, really do what every young 20-year-old <laughs> probably dreams of and <laughs> get, got paid to, uh, you know, fly all over the world and, you know, do exciting things and That's fun awesome. stuff and, you know, some some deployments, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of peacetime stuff as well. And just logged my my 100th country I visited uh, not so long ago. And so, wow. yeah, a lot of it on Uncle Sam's dime. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was a great experience and, uh, you know, really, in my opinion, was part of that, you know, kind of necessary transition, you know, kind of maturity, you know, seeing life and, you know, deciding, hey, you know, what, what sort of life do I want to eventually, you know, get out of the flying world and, and build. And that, you know, that, that travel component for me was really my, you know, kind of key driver into going, hey, I, I want to be able to pursue something that effectively can work whether or not, you know, I'm working nine to five, you know, 40 hours a week on, you know, that's one of the reasons why I love real estate, just because you can structure it in a way that, I mean, it performs whether or not you're, you know, at the driver's seat, um, you know, because right. you don't need to, if you, you know, put your due diligence and, and structure a deal correctly. 
Right. Yeah. No, love to hear that, man. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, your, your, your past career, you know, obviously is, is very impressive. Right. And then now you're doing big, big things in the industrial real estate space. Uh, I do have a question in terms of that, though, that transition piece, you know, were you able to transfer any of the skills you developed in your time in the military into your business career in the private sector, like right now? Yeah. I mean, you know, most guys, when they're leaving the military, regardless of their career field, that first jump is typically, I mean, it's the scariest, right? Especially if you're in a specialized, you know, military focus, let's say you're an infantry officer or something like that, right? Where there's not a direct equivalent in the civilian space. You know, for me, you know, a lot of folks I would talk to, I actually, my first job was, was working for a startup as a project manager. And, you know, they kind of looked me top to bottom and I, I had a few guys go, Hey, like, why shouldn't you be, you know, applying for Delta, you know, and I'm like, no, I mean, just because, you know, just because I have the technical flying skill, you know, really in a multi-career craft, I'm like, this is, I mean, the core definition of project management where I have, you know, a navigator, a flight engineer, I have load masters, I have, you know, airborne mechanics, and I'm, I'm really, I'm managing this diverse group of people all trying to, you know, track them down, you know, the same general direction here. And, you know, very similar to what a project manager does, you know, for anything from a tech company to, you know, construction firm or, you know, anywhere in between. And so, you know, personally, I think a lot of that kind of skill set really does correlate to, you know, putting together a commercial real estate deal because you have so many moving parts, you know, you kind of need that that operations centric person to kind of, you know, keep all the, all the pieces moving in the right, you know, make sure you hit deadlines and nothing's getting dropped and, you know, checklists and, you know, really a lot of the same skill sets that I used in flying have, you know, in my opinion, been pretty relevant for the commercial real estate side. You know, I think that's pretty cool because I don't think it's it's immediately obvious that the you know being a pilot would transfer into you know those skills would transfer into um, you know commercial real estate basically you know but I think <laughs> you're absolutely spot on and I think it, I think it's great it's absolutely fantastic love to hear that Neil so let's just dive into it man you know we're, sure. we're here to talk about industrial real estate you know like I said before you, we've only had maybe one other person guest on here talk about industrial real estate so you know, let's just kind of back up and start at the beginning. So for those that don't have much exposure to this asset asset class, can you talk about uh, just the industrial asset class itself, industrial real estate and what it consists of? Yeah, absolutely. So it helps, you know, really to start maybe just a core definition. So, you know, industrial is going to take several different types, um, but the main categories, um, you know, on one end of the spectrum, you're going to have flex industrial and flex industrial. Imagine these, you know, kind of very long buildings subdivided into, you know, one or two or 3000 square foot spaces. Usually they have a, you know, a high, high bay doors, high ceilings. It's going to be mostly warehouse inside each of these subdivided units, maybe a little office. Um, you know, it's going to be used largely for, you know, local tenants, lawn care services, tire shops, you know, mechanic shops with storage units, uh, you know, some combination of it. And from an ownership side, you're going to have property management, you're going to have a lot of short term leases. And really, it's going to be ran probably more similar to like a multi tenant retail center, where you have a lot of, you know, smaller cap tenants that, you know, you're effectively trying to keep a aggregate level of occupancy in. Um, the next category is really what we play in with Mad Capital, and that's going to be your more traditional warehouse. And warehouse can be a combination of storage, distribution, or manufacturing. And quite a lot of tenants will, you know, take a combination of all three of those. The, the buildings themselves just tend to be, I mean, as <laughs> kind of basic as you can imagine. I mean, really, there are four walls and a roof, right? Sure. So, you know, the, the, the real estate itself is, I mean, it's not... 
not that intricate, not that fancy, um, but that's okay. Cause really you're providing a, a space, you're providing a relationship with that tenant who's creating really a, a core critical piece of operations value, whether that be through, you know, storage of their business or, or manufacturing, whatever it is that they're producing the cell, you know, a number of those operations all need real estate in order to take place. Um, and then the, the third main category is going to be specialty and specialty is exactly like it sounds. I mean, it could range from, you know, industrial, uh, you know, petroleum, you know, oil refineries to, you know, you get a lot of like pharma and biotech uh, industrial will be, you know, temperature controlled, um, cold storage might fall into that category. Um, just really a higher price per square foot, more, you know, expensive, specialized real estate that are meeting the needs of a particular type of, of tenant. Yeah, I, I mean that's I really appreciate you going to that level of detail with that because that really it really helps kind of even myself understand what this looks like and you know categorize it. So and you know and you know you kind of mentioned you know what you guys are specifically focusing on can, just for context and to, to paint a picture just real clear. Can you give us a general like example of maybe something one of your deals or one of your investments, your properties, kind of what that looks like from you know getting it and you know actually operating that investment. Yeah, and hundred um, percent. So you know, I, I'll use maybe a little bit about what Mad Capital Partners, my, my firm's focus and specialty is. We we buy real estate that's tenanted by what we call light manufacturing. Um, so we have, you know, imagine parts manufacturers, a ton of automotive. We have aerospace parts manufacturers, uh, heavy equipment. Think caterpillars, earth movers. Uh, we also have, uh, you know, we have a tenant that does, um, you know, commercial industrial dryers and mixers. I mean, imagine like a KitchenAid on your countertop, except the blades are like 15 feet tall, right? <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're selling. So most of these companies produce uh, are B2B type of firms where they're producing a part not to sell to an end user, uh, but they're usually selling to a, you know, assembler or a final product brands who buys those parts and uses them to create a, a final finished good. Uh, and we like that, you know, by being one, one level up the food chain there, you're able to, you know, create more diversification. For example, our auto parts guys, you know, most of them will sell to 20, 25 different automotive manufacturers, different, you know, models, different, you know, makes, uh, and a really a well-diversified set where you're not overly dependent or leveraged against one particular customer. And that's, that's a nice relationship. Yeah. Very cool. So in terms of that, you know, you're talking about tenants and kind of what your, your typical tenant is like that. How are you guys taking down these deals? Are you just going, going and buying out these outright with tenants in place, or are you guys buy, you know, maybe new construction or something and then placing a tenant in there? What does that look like? Yeah. I, and there are specialty investment models to each of those, which you sure. just spoke on. Um, you know, in general, we're only buying occupied, uh, you know, hundred percent occupied operational real estate. So cash flow and real estate from day one, we're not lease up specialists. That's not our forte. Our forte really is, is structuring, um, you know, reliable cash flow that's structured by the lease and that's anchored by the credit of your tenant. I can underwrite based on the terms of that lease um, you know, how much cash flow I'm going to get, what that looks like, relationship between us as an investment group and our tenant. And then ultimately, the security of that cash flow, of that yield, the security really boils down at, at a very focused manner for these single tenant deals around the credit of your tenant. And in layman's terms, really, I'm, I'm making a bet that says, you know, for the four to five years I plan to own this real estate, 
how sure am I that the tenant is going to stay in business and pay the rent on time? If you do your due diligence right and you know make that bet correctly, you have one of the most sleep easy, steady, consistent investments across all of commercial real estate. And that's really, you know, kind of the draw on these type of deals. Absolutely. Love to hear that. And so, you know, I think a lot of our listeners are very familiar with, you know, investing in rentals, single family, maybe multifamily apartments, small multis, stuff like that. And they're very familiar with the term lease, right? And they know what this looks Mm -hmm. like. It's typically an annual lease. And most people are familiar with that. But I know that industrial, the actual lease, there's, you know, a number of different ways to to structure a lease. Can you talk about what that looks like and what you guys are focused on in terms of lease structure? Yeah. And to tie it back to kind of that consistency of reliable cash flow that we talked about before, that is really anchored by the type of lease. So, you know, imagine on on one hand, um, you know, say a single family home or even a multifamily, you're going to have more of a gross lease structure where the owner is going to be responsible for, you know, property taxes, for the majority of insurance, um, for all or some of utilities typically, uh, and then heavy building maintenance, roof replacements, all those, they have to build in reserves and kind of be ready to take on the operational risk and expenses of owning the real estate. Industrial is different. Uh, Industrial, the norm in this asset class are absolute triple net leases. And just for a quick review, a triple net lease means there's really three main categories that you are taking off your plate as an owner investor and putting those expense line items on your tenant. Um, And so the first is going to be property tax. Your tenant pays their own taxes directly. Second is going to be insurance. We set the standard of minimum coverage, but our, our tenant is going to pay both the premiums and deductibles of any claims directly for that insurance. Uh, And then the third piece is going to be utilities slash building maintenance. So not only are they they paying their own electric, gas, water, sewage, et cetera, even building upkeep, um, you know, for example, roof replacements, HVAC replacements, paint, uh, you know, concrete repair, really fence line to fence line, building and, and land upkeep all of that falls on your tenant. So, I mean, really a huge amount of both the known and surprise expenses that come up, all that is, you know, those surprises still happen. They're just not our surprise anymore. You know, now it's, <laughs> now it's my tenant's surprise and, you know, I can sleep easy knowing, Hey, that's not going to disrupt my cash flow. I still have the, you know, ultra consistent rent coming in without an expense line, um, which is, you know, one of the draws again, of that single tenant model. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like a, a definitely a pro, you know, there's pros and cons to each side, right? And, you know, whether you're a tenant or the owner, and that definitely sounds like a pro for you guys. With that in mind, do, could you, do you mind spending some time going through some of the pros and cons as, as some other pros and cons as an owner, and then also as a tenant to those models? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, you know, as a, as an owner, the, the, the exchange of, you know, basically offloading a lot of those expenses is your price per square foot is going to be lower. So you're always, um, you know, if you're giving a tenant, say, an option of a gross lease or a triple net lease, they are going to pay a, a much lower price per square foot on that triple net lease because they're taking on a lot of those expense items. Sure. And, you know, and really the more consistent a tenant's business is, um, probably the more likely they're going to take on a triple net structure. If they have a wildly variable, you know, kind of a utility usage or I, who knows what it might be, then they're, sure. they, they might be less likely to take that on. Um, and then really the, the key linchpin in these are going to be the term of the lease. So, you know, if I'm a tenant, let's say I have a, a two or three year lease. 
there's no way I want to take on roof replacement responsibility, right? Because that right. I would I would never see a return on that investment. You know, it would just be great for the landlord. But in the industrial space, I mean, honestly, these tenants, most of them have been in place for decades. You know, 30, 40, 50 years is not uncommon. You know, they're they're these buildings have been customized over the years to exactly fit the needs of their of their their tenants on that side. So usually, I mean, when we come in, for instance, we put a, a brand new lease almost always on these buildings, uh, it'll be a 20 year term. So in 20 years, I mean, that, that roof might get replaced twice. So they know, Hey, you know what, this is, this is not going to be a surprise. This is, you know, we just have to budget for it accordingly. And that's, you know, really, you know, how and the why those, those leases work in that asset class. I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of paint that picture for me and the listeners, because that, that really clears it up. And it makes me understand it a lot more, just how, how, how this, how this operates as a business, you know, in terms of, you know, being an op, uh, an owner and a tenant and then the lease in place. So thank you for, for taking time to go into that. I, I do have a question. I kind of, it's a little bit of a transition, but, you know, over the last say two years, probably, you know, we've really, me personally, like if anybody, and if anybody's been paying attention to industrial real estate or real estate investing in general, they've heard that industrial real estate's kind of taken off. I mean, it, it probably was doing very well before that, but in the news, it's really gained a lot of attention of like, man, industrial is on fire right now. Can you talk about maybe why that is and what the supply and demand environment looks today, looks like today? Yeah. And, you know, we have seen a lot of that, right? Um, where industrial has been, you know, the golden child, kind of what maybe multifamily was about five years ago in terms sure. of, you know, just being on a growth trajectory. Um, and really what we've seen, a lot of it is, a finite amount of supply for the type of product we're buying, right? So, you know, everything's supply and demand. So imagine first looking at the supply side, most of the buildings we're buying are, you know, I would say the equivalent of like a, a B or B minus class building. And that's okay, right? I don't need sure. fancy paint and, you know, modern trim and finishings. I mean, really, I'm looking for operational, functional real estate here. Um, so, you know, we're buying around 50 bucks a square foot on average. Replacement cost in, in this asset type is about 200 bucks a square foot. So we are substantially below the cost of building new stuff. So really that, that supply for this subset is not expanding at all, right? And then once you know that, now you look at the demand piece and there's been a huge amount of reshoring, basically people bringing operations that were overseas mm. and no longer is, you know, quite as, you know, cost uh, savings by, you know, doing offshore production. So a lot of them are bringing that back. You're also seeing a lot more need for distribution centers, warehousing as e-commerce picks up as a lot of, you know, people that used to maybe buy things in store now require shipping, you know, and all the additional warehouse and industrial space required for those operations. So the combination of those really has increased the demand side with a finite supply of, of space that's really, you know, kind of led to, you know, industrial being one of the, the hotter asset classes over the last few years. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's very interesting the way it's kind of played out that dynamic. Right. And so with that being mm -hmm. said, how do you, in your, just your opinion, what is, what does industrial look like going forward? Do you think it's only going to grow and that demand just kind of keep going and that the same kind of trajectory we have now, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, and you know, like anything, you can paint a very broad picture when you go industrials on fire. Right. Sure. Uh, right, but right. you know, like anything, if you, if you know where to look and if you have a, you know, a specialty where you have a competitive advantage and you can still find opportunity. So just to use an example, you know, in major metros, you know, your, your Phoenix, your Los Angeles, Dallas, you know, these are metros that have seen major cap rate compression, major increases in price, 
per square foot, just based on just so much institutional money, all just competing with each other to buy, you know, really nice looking industrial real estate in those markets. Um, we don't even play in those markets. It's just, we're, we're not competitive or if we were, we're going to be buying them at a, you know, a yield that's below what we we seek to achieve. You know, the cash flow is going to be, you know, three, 4%. To be honest, that's not our specialty, right? We, we like to have, you know, high single digit cash flow from day one. And, you know, we can achieve that still by, you know, we, we look to find secondary locations you know, we're, we're buying in like Des Moines and, uh, you know, Champaign, Illinois and Lancaster, Pennsylvania, these secondary cities uh, or what I call commutable secondary, where, you know, maybe 10, 15 miles outside of the city, but the labor force still lives in that city there. Sure. And when you have that kind of location coupled with strong privately held credit companies, you know, basically the, the strength of, of credit behind your tenant there. That, that risk and reward balance still lines up pretty well where we're able to get decent yields, good cash flow, you know, good returns for, for us as an investment group, while still having the security of honestly, a, you know, profitable companies that have good, you know, financial private equity backers quite often, um, you know, and we look at the, the risk and look at, you know, what kind of returns we think we can achieve. And, you know, we, we are still finding opportunity in those kind of locations. That's, that's amazing. I'd love to hear that. And it's very interesting, kind of the markets you guys are kind of focused on. I love the fact that, you know, you're kind of looking at the outside uh, and it makes a lot of sense, right? And so with that being said, you know, you, you kind of just tell us what you guys are focused on there at MAG. Um, in terms in terms of, you know, the future, right? Are you Do you see anything on the horizon that might be like a speed bump or, or something that may adjust, maybe like a, maybe adjust your your focus or, you know, kind of your yeah. strategy in terms of uh, maybe like just the, the economy changing or maybe a policy ch- shift or something like that? I mean, the biggest risk we see is probably a rapid increase in, in interest rates. Sure. And with that side, you know, we mitigate our investments by typically doing 10-year fixed rate debt. So, you know, we'll, we'll come in, we only expect to hold about four to five years typically for most projects, but we have debt that allows us to, you know, hold longer and not have to worry about refinancing. That's just another way that we eliminate one risk category. However, you know, if rates go up substantially, when it comes time to sell, you may find yourself with a more limited pool of eligible buyers um, for, you know, the type of dollars that these these projects are trading at uh, just because, you know, a lot of people rely on cheaper financing right now to make their, their business model work. So that's, that's probably, you know, but honestly, if that happens, you're probably going to see similar effects across all assets, you know, and then it's just, you know, more or less just adjusting expectations. So, you know, as long as it doesn't, you know, rapidly, you know, increase overnight, if it's kind of gradual, which, you know, in our opinion, the Fed is more likely to do is kind of ease into, a increase like that, you know, that's just, you know, you're modifying expectations for buyers, for investors, for sellers, you know, and, and all that market just slowly adjusts. Yeah. Love to hear that, Neil. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And I completely agree. You know, you got to watch out for, you know, kind of what the Fed's going to do, where they're going to be, you know, what their actions are going to be. I know they said they're going to raise sometime next year. So um, definitely be on the lookout for that. But Neil, man, it's been great uh, learning more about your story, what you guys going on, got going on over there at MAG. Uh, before we get out of here, um, tell us more about, you know, your company, what you guys are doing and uh, how listeners can connect with you. Yeah. So, you know, with MAG, I, I'm the chief operating officer 
Um, you know, we, we do strictly uh, direct investments and not a fund. Each project's, you know, deal by deal. We do about 10 to 12 deals a year. And, um, you know, we basically just continue this, you know, success through, you know, a set of investment partners. So, um, but yeah, I was happy to, you know, talk about the show, talk about the asset class, uh, you know, talk more about investing in that asset class for those interested. You know, we have some resources on our website, www.magcp.com, uh, or just drop me a line, neil, N-E-I-L at magcp.com. No, we're going to make sure to put all that stuff in the show notes so our listeners can reach out to you and uh, find out more about what you guys got going on. Man, it's been great having you on the show. Really, thank you for uh, coming and speaking with me today. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Danny. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we'd really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.